Well, as our senior minister, Eric Park, finishes up a couple weeks of staycation with which he is starting the new year off on a wonderful note of rest and rejuvenation, I, again, am thankful to not only be in worship this morning with all of you braving the cold for this warm space or tuning in from a warm location elsewhere, but I'm thankful for your trust with the pulpit as I bring a word for us this morning. Will you pray with me? Oh God, our warm refuge, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and salvation. Amen. Well, this week has been a busy week for me as I officially started coursework on Wednesday for a PhD program at Drew Theological School, where I'm in the Bible and Cultures program. Yes, thank you. And I am focusing on queer biblical interpretation, which is incredible, a lot of work, but it is for me a dream come true, not only to be studying the subject, but to be doing so while also serving as the Minister of Spiritual Formation and LGBTQIA development with you, Christ Church, a congregation that already in five short months has come to feel like home. I love what I do, but I'm never quite sure on how to explain it to someone new. I'm still looking for the right elevator pitch for explaining this niche world of religion to which we belong been thankful that every time I've met someone here in New York City who has no idea that churches like ours exist, they receive it with an open mind, finding it both curious and cool that there are ministers of LGBTQ development in this world. But every time I have a conversation like that, I find myself fumbling over a few short sentences that somewhat tries to explain this religious life we live professor in a class this week actually pointed out how much of our common popular understanding of what religion is or what church is like comes from popular media. And I don't know about you, but rarely do I see Christianity reflected in a TV show or movie in a way that resonates with my own experience. But recently, there was a certain character on a certain TV show that did embody a type of faith that I found inspiring. Eric Effiong is one of the main characters in a Netflix show called Sex Education, which is one of those teen dramas like The Wonder Years or Big Mouth that is written for adults and uses the common formative experiences like high school to tell stories that help us all think about how we grow up and learn to be who we are in the world. While much of the show is not something about which I would preach on a Sunday morning, Eric's story is particularly interesting. From the beginning, he's introduced as a competent and charismatic teenager. He's out and proud as gay, never thinks it's something that he needs to change or apologize for. But throughout the show, he journeys into a deeper understanding of what it means to be him. Eric, too, is Nigerian, living with his family now in rural UK, and he grew up a part of a Nigerian Christian church that is basically extended family to him. Throughout the show, Eric wrestles with how to hold his complexities as a queer person, a person of color from an immigrant family, and as a person of faith. This all comes to a head in the fourth and final season in which Eric signs up for a baptism class with his church, one not unlike the confirmation class we just launched here at Christ Church. 
He is eager to celebrate his faith. He knows that God loves him just as he is, but he is hesitant to see how his church might receive him. For years, he's felt he has to tone down who he is for his church family. But on his baptism day, Eric stands up in front of his church and proudly proclaims, My name is Eric Effiong, and I'm a Christian and a gay man. I love myself too much not to tell my truth, so if you love me as I am, I will be baptized. If you don't, then I must leave. His mom, with whom he's had a contentious relationship, stands up and says, I love you as you are, my son, but no one else moves. Eric realizes he has his answer, so he takes his, mom hand, his mom's hand and they leave the building and Eric is not baptized that day, but he knows that he's not done with church or religion, for he's convinced there's another way in which we can go about such things. As it turns out, there's a calling around the corner coming for him. By the end of that day, he finds his best friend to recount his experience and announce, I have decided I want to become a pastor. When I first watched that scene, I cried, and I told my husband Mitch that despite the very different life I live from Eric, I've never quite seen a call to ministry on TV that reminded me anything of my own. The gospel reading that Winona read for us this morning comes from the beginning of the gospel of Mark, and it is the first calling scene written in the Bible. We first heard two verses that transition from the gospel's prologue into telling about the story of Jesus's ministry. And in that, Jesus proclaims that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near or is at hand. He's speaking to people struggling with Roman occupation people who are wondering what it means to truly and freely be who God made them to be. And with this mystical language, Jesus means that his ministry brings about a new way of being in the world, a way that looks more like the ways or the realm or the kingdom of God than it does the kingdom of Rome. And immediately with this proclamation, Jesus begins to calling people to follow him. Mark is also the shortest gospel, and his storytelling is particularly quick, but even in its brevity, today's scene is vivid. Simon and Andrew and then James and John are all fishing by the side of the sea, going about their normal work and daily business with no idea that there was a calling around the corner for them. But Jesus shows up and simply says, follow me and I will make you fishers of people and without a word, they do. There are countless of ways in which that term, fishers of men or fishers of people, has been sermonized or metaphorized. And I want to note today, though, that Jesus is simply using the context from which he is calling these people to describe a new and deeper reality into which God was inviting them. The kingdom of God is here so even your daily business as fishermen takes on new meaning. Suddenly, with this new insight of who they might be in the world, these two sets of brothers give their yes and follow Jesus, becoming his first disciples. 
And that TV show, Eric Effiong's call to ministry is not so different. After he leaves the church with his mom, he decides to go on a walk through the woods to find some time to think and process the painful experiences of that morning. While he's on this walk, he comes to a bridge where he sees a woman fishing, which I think must be a reference to stories like ours and Mark today. Eric approaches this woman and watches her as she catches some mysterious-looking fish, shining with iridescent and out-of-this-world colors. He says, I don't think that's a river fish, and tries to touch it when suddenly he's transported into some surreal vision, and this woman turns out to be God. Now, it's a silly scene. Eric says, you're God? And she retorts, what, did you expect some old white man? But the scene is sweet, too. You are my precious child. You are brave and bold, God tells Eric, encouraging him to believe that the church and world still need him in all of who he is. Eric expresses his doubt, but God says simply, stop and listen. And so he closes his eyes, hears the birds around him and the ruffling of the leaves and the trees, and then slowly wakes from his vision. And without a word, he understands that he can be all of who he is. And Eric gets up and goes forward, following the path ahead of him. What I love about this show, Sex Education, is how all of the main characters, and there are a lot of them, have an ending something like Eric's. Though he is one of the only religious characters, each of the characters in the show discover something about who they are to be and are then launched into their adult lives, ready to continue unfolding their authentic selfhood. When I watch this show, I realize that maybe we each, whatever age we are, can still have moments in which we find clarity and courage to own our own paths in life, too. The scene that we heard in Mark 1 this morning actually establishes some similar kind of paradigm or pattern. Scholars point out that throughout the book of Mark, this same scene happens again and again with a similar formula as others are called to follow Jesus. These stories were written for the early Christians to remember their own calling stories within a contentious moment in which they were doubting their allegiance to the Jesus movement. These stories like the calling of Simon and Andrew and James and John then would remind the early Christians of the moments in which they suddenly saw new insight into who they might be in the world and said yes to what God was up to in Jesus and his community of followers. Now, most of those early Christians, like most of us today, would have not been fishers, but hearing Simon and Andrew called fishers of people would remind them the way in which their own ordinary life had come alive with the discovery that God was present with them and within them. What about you? When was a moment in which you felt a sacred tug to a deeper understanding of what it means to be you in your circumstance and context? Or perhaps today you are still waiting for some calling that might be around the corner. Where are you waiting to discover some new bravery, some new boldness, some new ability to be your authentic self? 
Last week was the first official week of our 2024 confirmation class here at Christ Church. We have 11 youth in both middle and high school who are joining for a journey over the next few months to learn about the fundamentals of Christian faith and about what it means to belong to this church before they come up here in May and are confirmed, celebrating their baptism from their youth, their, their infancy. Last Sunday in our first class, one of our main activities was simply to decorate a candle holder. I often say that spiritual formation looks a lot like arts and crafts. And we use stickers and markers then to put our names on our candles and add embellishments that represent elements of who we are. Someone might have put a basketball on their candle to represent how they play basketball at school, or I put a cat on mine to represent my cat back at home. Each week we will use these candles, though, for a short candle lighting ritual. With a short litany, we will say together phrases like, we are each a child of God, each unique and deeply loved, or we are all created in God's image. God is alive within us. And then we will light our candles to create a tangible, a physical reminder that God's flame of life flickers within each of us. As we go about the games and lessons and the discussions each week in confirmation class, those candles will shimmer with the reminder that faith is not about having life perfectly figured out, but simply about remembering that God's life shines in and through us. My hope and hunch is that this is where the important learning of spiritual formation really takes place. As much as I can unendingly nerd out about theological terms and biblical scholarship, what I want for youth to learn is what Eric Effiong had to learn on his own, that they are loved as they are, and that God is within all the complexities of their own unique lives. What's important in spiritual formation is understanding what Jesus meant when he announces that the kingdom of God is at hand. God is with and within each of us, inviting us all into a deeper understanding of what it means to be human, what it means to be us. Right after that mystical vision Eric Effiong had, in which he felt some confirmed call to ministry, he walks down the path through the woods and actually stumbles upon an acquaintance from school named Cal. Eric and Cal are not particularly good friends, but they're two of the only students of color in their school, so they have a bond. But unbeknownst to Eric that day, Cal had been missing for hours. All of their friends from school had rallied together to look for Cal after a traumatic event that morning had everyone worried. Cal, too, is non-binary, and their family had recently moved to the UK all the way from Minnesota, so Eric and Cal both knew what it was like to struggle navigating various identities. But Eric, when he finds Cal, does not need to say anything about this vision that he just experienced or use any words at all. He simply sits with them and with his presence affirms that everything is going to be okay and that Cal is loved in all of who they are. The creator of the show, Lori Nunn, said in an interview that Eric was the right character in that moment to help deliver a message to Cal message Cal needed. 
It is later in the episode in which Eric names his desire to be a pastor, but immediately he is already living out his call, a call I think we each have in our own ways to be our authentic selves in a way that invites other people to be their authentic selves as well. Eric's story reminds me of the urgency we have in discovering our authentic selves in the world. Though his call to be a pastor was a lifelong path, his message of truth, this message that we are each created and loved by a sacred source that holds us in all of our complexities, that message was something the world needed immediately. There is urgency, too, in the Gospel of Mark as it tells of these calling stories, especially this one in this first chapter. Perhaps there is no hesitancy in Simon and Andrew or James and John because they know how much their world needs this truth that the kingdom of God has come near. Think of myself and how I did not have an example of a church like ours until I was in my 20s. It took me seeing an example of someone else holding their complexities, complexities like mine, to realize that I could find my calling around the corner and embrace my true, authentic self. But just as Jesus calls these fishermen to become fishers of people in Mark 1, he was reframing what they were already doing in the world with deeper and divine purpose. Just like that, God does not call us each to the same vocation or career. When I tell someone that I'm a queer biblical scholar and minister, I don't expect them to go and sign up for my PhD coursework next week. Instead, each of us have our own paths in life. We each have our own stories to tell with God who does not guide us into cookie-cutter callings, but creates with us unique lives in which we can be brave and bold. We can embrace our authentic selves. Eric's calling was not just about some future vocation, but about a present need in the world. And likewise, the good news calls us with urgency to see and embody right now God's realm of peace, hope, justice, and love. We each have neighbors near us who need others to speak up and act out or simply sit with them. God is present to us so that we might be present to others. So I wonder, how is God calling you, perhaps, to bring a wordless message to someone in the midst of crisis? Or how might someone in your life benefit from you being your authentic self in a way that invites them to be their authentic self as well? Or in a world of war, of genocide, of violence, we have neighbors near and far away for whom we must speak up in action and advocacy How are we called not to let our daily lives numb us to the needs of the global community? How are we called to speak out loud and proudly against injustice, against violence as we walk together in God's realm of peace? The world urgently needs us to embrace all of who we are as children created by a cosmic creator who loves us and who guides us, and who gives us space to be our authentic versions of ourselves. In doing so, I believe we take hold of the good news that God's kingdom, God's realm, God's way of being is truly here, truly at hand. 
This is the good news of Christ, whose name we gather today and whose name I preach. Amen.